welcome to the Rebel at Large Adventure Podcast. I'm Drifter. And I'm Gypsy. Talking about ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. Howdy folks, thanks for joining us for yet another adventure. Today we're taking you to a small town. Not quite a ghost town, yet a small one with a curious history nonetheless. A few weekends back, we jumped into the Explorer and headed south for an adventure, and definitely for me, some much-needed time away. Right, always. Yeah, it had been a few months since I had been out on the road and really needed to get out of the house, even if it was just for the weekend. Drifter had been north to Lava Hot Springs with his niece, probably, what, a few weekends prior when we left? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I was starting to feel a little cooped up. I think the last time I went out of town was for our wedding. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. October, the end of October. Yeah. That was, that's been too long for me. Yeah. <laughs> the weather here was cold and we hadn't seen much of the sun due to the inversion. Yeah. Don't live in the valley here. No, it gets pretty <laughs> bad in the mm-hmm. winter. Yeah, gloomy. It always looks like there's this fog over the valley and it's just horrible air quality. Yeah. <laughs> Little Gypsy actually went on this trip with us this time, and she was excited to get her telescope out and stargaze, and I think she was also hoping we would let her drive a bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she just got her learner's permit and thinks that she should drive all the time now. Yeah, she does think that. (laughs) Well, we decided on Orderville, Utah for our little getaway, town we haven't really spent any time in, so we were looking for a place that was close enough to get there before it was dark and a cabin to sleep in. We don't really enjoy staying in hotels. It's nice to be able to easily step outside for some fresh air. You're away from folks, and we like to have a fire whenever we can. Mm -hmm. So we'd spend a lot of time at KOA campgrounds. They're usually close to the town, wherever they're at, and they have typically nice showers and bathrooms. And if permitted, we can have a fire. So uh, we looked at the KOA in St. George, and they do have some nice-looking cabins, as well as the standard KOA-style cabins, which is more than enough. We often sleep in a car, so. Yeah. Uh, but having little Gypsy with us, we needed a little more space. Mm-hmm. And we were hoping to take Marley with us, but um, they weren't allowing us there to have a fire at the time. And they were requiring a two-night stay. So we did think about leaving Friday night after work, but felt the price they were asking for just the cabin uh, they had available was not worth paying for us to enjoy the cabin for just a few hours that Friday night by the time we would have gotten there. Yeah, it would have been pretty late, and we would have been paying for a whole day to only really enjoy it for like two hours before yeah, it was time just for to bed. Sleep, yeah. yeah. Well, I started looking online to see if there were other options aside from the KOA, because there are a few more KOAs down in that area. Mm-hmm. But oddly enough, they are closed in the wintertime, even though it's not cold like it is up in our valley. Right. But um, I figured there's got to be something else out there. So I found a website called glampinghub.com. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like an Airbnb where you can list your house for rent, but this is for camping. So it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. They have upscale yurts, trailers on secluded properties, teepees, barns, and tiny homes. Really kind of anything is probably on there depending on what area you're in. Mm-hmm. Some of these are very upscale camping and others are staying in someone's old family cabin kind of on their old property up in the woods. Mm -hmm. So I found a tiny house in Orderville, Utah that's about four and a half hours from Salt Lake. And the tiny house was in a group of eight newly built houses in the back of someone's yard. 
It was a little little weird. And it's like they owned some farmland and just converted the back area to this little neighborhood. Yeah, yeah that's the feeling that I kind of got too. His house was up front and then where the farm used to be was, oh, let's put some houses here now instead. Mm-hmm. They were a little on the pricey side for just one night, but like I said, I really needed to get away and and it was worth it, even if it was just for a night and I really needed the break from the stress of life. I was a little disappointed to find out after booking the place, they did not allow pets. And when I clarified this with the owner, they confirmed they do not allow dogs. So little Marley didn't get to go with us on this trip. Yeah, sad. Yeah, it was a bummer. Well, the entrance to the tiny house neighborhood is down a private driveway next to the house we were talking about that's just kind of up front. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. As we entered the driveway, we saw the most adorable French bulldog. And, of course, we had to stop and say hello to him. And he said hello back to us. And it took him a minute to <laughs> yeah. finally start kind of barking, and he almost, like, fell over barking at us because yeah. he was just sitting there. It was so funny. The so that little fella, yeah. Yeah. I, I did get pictures of him. Oh. Yeah, so because of him, we are now looking at one day getting a little Frenchie because we just absolutely fell in love with him. Yeah, he's like a miniature Marley. <laughs> yeah, like a quarter of the size of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty adorable. Mm-hmm. Well, we were staying in house number four, which was at the end of the drive going in. As we pulled in, we saw they have a little it's kind of, it's a tree house. It was a tree trunk, and then they built a house on top of it. Yeah. And it looks like you can stay in it as well. And as we passed it, they had a door carved into the tree trunk. So kind of, I don't know, hobbit land stuff. Well, uh, I didn't put this in here, but when I looked on their website, it shows them making the tree house. Oh, really? And in that trunk, it looks like they built it for like rock climbing. So they have those little hand grippy things and foot things. So you can like practice your rock climbing in the tree trunk. (laughs) Maybe you go in there and that's how you get to the tree house itself is you have to rock climb up to it. (laughs) All your luggage and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll go back and stay there one day and then find out for sure all the details of it all. See what the real deal is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they have four houses in a row on one side and another four houses in a row on the other side. So kind of backyard to backyard, like a typical neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, The houses on one side are, they're all identical. And then the four houses on the other side are a different floor plan, but yet each are identical to each other as well. Uh, We stayed in the house that has one bedroom on the main floor, as well as a kitchen. There's a front room and a bathroom. The house also had a loft with a ladder going up to it. A little sketchy, but great for the uh, younger generations. Yeah. And then upstairs in the loft, they had two beds uh, pretty much sitting on the floor. And that was all that was up there. Yeah, a little gypsy had to climb upstairs, and then we had to, like, hand her luggage up to her. Uh-huh, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, they didn't have a dumb waiter to drag everything up there. No, and I think climbing up that ladder with, like, a backpack on, you would have felt that weight pulling you back. Right. So we're like, no, we'll just toss it up to you. Yeah. <laughs> Outside had a little patio with a picnic table and a barbecue. Next to that was the fire pit, and I was so excited because we were allowed to have a fire there. Mm-hmm. We had to bring our own wood, though, correct? Yeah. This was a newly built, modern, tiny home with everything you could ever need for an enjoyable stay. Some of the benefits of this place compared to the KOA is the house was fully stocked with kitchen supplies. It had a washer and dryer in the building, which was kind of cool. A bathroom and a shower in the house. The beds had linens on them already, and it was very clean. Yeah, they did a great job with that. Mm Mm-hmm. The front room was nice to have because we actually took our virtual reality headsets with us and we had enough room to play around a mini golf after we had our fire. Mm-hmm. 
the Wi-Fi at this place is better than we've had at the KOAs we've stayed at as well. So that was kind of nice to use for the headsets. Right. And we aren't really trying to badmouth the KOAs. We do love them. We stay there often, but... Some of the ones we've stayed at, I don't know, they're a little run down and we're kind of even afraid to take our shoes off for the shower. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rare exception, but they're out there. Yeah. You know, and you have to pack your own linens, you have to pack your own supplies for kitchens, all that kind of stuff. So you have to plan a little bit more ahead at staying at the KOAs where this is all ready to go. Yeah. But our KOA cabins are a third of the cost of this sort of a thing too. So yeah, definitely benefits. Mm-hmm. Well, we mentioned the campgrounds layout and how the four houses in a row are the same and the other four are different. According to the website's photos of the other houses, they're laid out similarly, but instead of the scary ladder you had to climb to get upstairs, they have actual steps. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's one bedroom and a bathroom as well as the kitchen and family room on the main floor. The upstairs has only one bed, and this bed looks to be on an actual bed frame, not just a mattress thrown on the uh, the floor of the loft. The biggest difference is the big walk-around porch that goes from the front, down the side, and to the back. Yeah, and they also have a large outdoor patio that's on the roof of the house with stairs to get up there on the outside of the house. There also looks to be some like super comfy, fun swing chairs. And I bet sitting up there during the summer um, would be super fun to watch all the stars coming through. Oh, yeah. And get a time during the uh, asteroid meteor showers. Oh, my gosh. That would be a perfect spot for it. You could set up your camera on the tripod and do like those overexposed pictures where they have the spirals. Mm -hmm. And it's all right there on your house. (laughs) Yeah. Just set up a remote screen and watch it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What else? We didn't talk about the pool out there. Oh, yeah. So the area does have a pool. But it's not in the same location that we stayed at. So from what we could gather, it looks like the owners have the house we stayed at, as well as another resort on the other side of town. And when we say the other side of town, it's like a mile away. Yeah, it's a small town. Yeah. This area is where the yurts are that you can also rent if you're interested in. And the pool and hot tub are located there. We were told in our check-in email that we could use the pool and hot tub, but the pool's closed during the winter, so only the hot tub when it's cold outside. That's all you really need. Yeah. Unfortunately, we didn't get to check out the hot tub. I had just gotten a tattoo and was also busy working on one of the podcasts, and I'm pretty sure it was uh, Madam Laura Evans I was working on at that time. Yeah, that was just our last two-parter. First one, too. Yep. Yeah. Well, the yurts look really nice to stay in as well, and Gypsy almost booked us a place there, Mm -hmm. but when little Gypsy decided to tag along, we thought there wouldn't be enough private room in the yurt for her and us. Yeah. Or the same one. It's kind of an open floor plan. Yeah, it's just a big circle, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the bathrooms in the yurt do look pretty cool in the pictures. They're these, like, still tubs. Yeah, like like a food trough. Yeah, that's kind of what it looked like to me. So I was kind of jealous that we didn't get to stay there because I wanted to take a shower. <laughs> right. Well, we talked about getting one of those trough type of things and turning it into a hot tub. We've mm-hmm. seen a bunch of them online, but we opted against it and got us an inflatable hot tub for the house. Yes. So, which works out pretty well. Uh, for those of you that don't know what a yurt is, it's like an upscale, extra large, well-insulated tent for the most part, just a big dome pretty cool. We saw them at the Tiny House Festival in Colorado a couple of years ago. You remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And they told us that a lot of folks will get them for pretty much extra places to stay at when they have their cabin property. Yeah. That's a pretty good idea for that. 
Well, and then my friend just came to visit from California, mm-hmm. and she was telling me that she lives in a yurt. Oh, yeah? Which area is that? Uh, by San Jose, like up in the mountains. Nice. And she just rents this yurt somebody put in their backyard. Basically, they owned a lot of land and put that there, and that's where she lives. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. She's like, it's perfect. I take my little dog out for a walk, and it's just right there in the backyard, and she loves it. Well, so Way cool. Kind of a fun idea for to do stuff like that. I never thought of putting a yurt on your property and renting it out like right. that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, when we told our families that we were going to Orderville, most of them asked, Where is that? (laughs) Or they didn't even know Orderville existed. Mm -hmm. Orderville is in King County, Utah. It's close to Zions National Park and Bryce Canyon National Park. The Red Canyon slot is extremely close to town, and there's pictures of this online. It looks super fun. And you could also see part of the Grand Staircase there as well. The area offers a lot of places to hike, four-wheel, and outdoor explore, and you really could spend months in the outdoor area and still not see everything it has to offer. Orderville is about 200 miles northeast of Las Vegas and about 300 miles south of Salt Lake, and it was along the 300-mile stretch that we actually let little Gypsy drive us for an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Having a new driver in the house is very stressful but exciting, and clearly she did a good job because we are here today to tell you about our adventure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she did all right. We got into some areas. <laughs> it says, well, if you feel like you want to stop, you can pull over this next rest area, which was kind of a dirt road turnoff. Mm-hmm. And she's all, okay. And then she just kept going, like, all right, she's got it. And then yeah. we come into a windy part of the canyon. And she's kind of freaking out a little yeah. bit. I wanted to get o- I wanted to pull over. And we're like, well, you already missed your chance. Yeah. You're, you got to go, girl. Yes, yeah. She asked, where was that rest stop? Like, uh, quite a ways back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I was, I was going to change spots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, she did good. Mm-hmm. Well, they do get snow down there. This is southern Utah, but it's still Utah. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's nothing like we get up here in Salt Lake. So, yeah. yeah they have the stunning red rocks in the area with the white snow on them, the evergreen trees out there. It's quite a sight to see. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have time to really get out and explore the wilderness side of things, but we were able to enjoy the night sky, which is awesome. Yes. The area is famed for being the darkest area for night watching, and it didn't disappoint, except for that one stupid light out in the parking area. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. wanted to shoot that thing out. Uh, and we just both got a new set of phones to, and thought we'd try them out and get some photos of the stars and found out that we needed a tripod to get the best shot. They have a new technology in their night camera setting, I guess is what it is. Yeah, and you have to hold still for like 30 seconds. And I mean, who can do that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, though we packed most of the house up, we didn't take uh, tripods with us. No. <laughs> I was even like trying to lay it on like the armrest of the bench mm-hmm. and then like push the button and hold it still and then look at it. It just didn't really work out. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it was a little tough. I read an article published in April 3rd, 2021 about the area. According to ARBNB's research, Orderville was the sixth most popular destination to stay due to the fact that it's so close to two national parks, like we mentioned. Mm -hmm. The town only has a population of about 600 people, one grocery store called Terry's, and according to the email I got from our um, place we booked our reservation, they have a nice variety of traditional small market grocery options. However, it has limited selections of fresh meat, fruits, and vegetables, and no alcohol. 
Bring your own, which we typically do anyway. Yes, plan ahead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the town has a German bakery, but it is only open during the summer months. The rock shop has coffee, small pastries, and ice cream. And we stopped at the rock shop to check out their rockin' selection. <laughs> wow. It starts already. <laughs> There's your dad joke. Well, we'll get it out of the way early. That's good. Oh, no. I have another one. No. <laughs> and uh, little Gypsy, she actually got some of those donuts there. They're like little small baby donuts. Mm -hmm. And she said they weren't bad, but she had better. So it was food, I guess, at least, They're right? Donuts out of a rock shop. So <laughs> There was no rocks in them. So. That's a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> the other rock shop we tried to go to was closed. Yeah, that was kind of unfortunate. Okay, no, I just remembered. So we went to that rock shop <laughs> on the day we got there. Yeah, we and, were a little early, so we couldn't quite go check into our room yet. Yeah, and they have like a gate, and they just hung like a string, like a cord over the gate opening, and said, "We'll be back tomorrow." And we're like, "Oh, okay. We'll we'll come tomorrow before we leave town." So we go to get in the car, and for some reason, little Gypsy felt like she needed to get into somebody else's car. <laughs> yeah, there was a suburban parked out in the parking lot that was similar in color to uh -huh. the Ford Explorer, <laughs> and she's just. Da, da, da. Yeah, walk, walking around <laughs> and just goes and opens the car. I'm like, um, that's not your car. Yeah, she starts laughing. I'm dying. I get in the car and she's like, I wondered why I opened the door and there was little kid shoes in there. <laughs> like She all but almost sat down in the seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, uh, she's not going to live that down anytime soon. No. Yeah, so we went back the next day and they were still closed. So I don't know if tomorrow to them meant Monday. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's been up for a week. Who knows? Yeah. But they had some really cool rocks. I was kind of sad because I wanted one of them. Mm -hmm. Next time. Yep. <laughs> well, Mount Carmel is only four miles south of town and is the location of the Thunderbird restaurant. I'm pretty sure I posted a picture of the sign out there on our Instagram. Mm, okay. Um, they boast to be home of the homemade pie. H-O-E, ho. Ho, made ho. by yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've seen the sign several times when we've passed through the area and have never really stopped. So we figured since we were staying in town, we should check out the homemade pies because we also had time. Yeah. So before we even went to the house, we picked up some delicious desserts from there. Mm -hmm. Which I, we say desserts, but we ate them before we ate anything else. So. Yeah, that was our meal for <laughs> yeah, the day. That was, yeah, that was our breakfast. Well, the funny lunch. thing is it's an actual restaurant. We could have got food, but we're like, no, we're going for pie. Yeah, we took food. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got, ended up getting a slice of chocolate. Uh, you got the strawberry rhubarb, mm -hmm. and Little Gypsy got the coconut. Yeah. And funny enough, when Little Gypsy tried her the strawberry rhubarb, which the whole time she's like, that sounds so gross. Right. Well, she actually liked it more than her coconut and ended up trading her pie with me. And honestly, this pie did not disappoint. So with me being a glutard, I just ate the filling and left the crust. I don't know. You ate the crust, though. What did you think? Yeah, I liked it. Mine was really good. Good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Worth the stop, right? Oh, absolutely. So uh, what started the little town of Orderville? Well, so kind of interesting Orderville and Mount Carmel go hand in hand with their development, and you can't talk about one without the other. Mm. Mount Carmel was settled by a Mormon man, Pretty Meeks, in the fall of 1864 when he built a dugout for his family. And pretty is spelled P-R-I-D-D-Y, not uh, <laughs> pretty cute type of pretty. I know, that's why I hesitated after I said it. I'm like, <laughs> I 
Yeah, that's how you'd say it. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty meek. <laughs> so he built this dugout for his family. And then in February of 1865, M.J. Jolly arrived in the valley with his family, a large herd of cattle as well. And he built the first house in the area. He built the first ditch and did the first plowing, then planted the first orchard. I'm betting it was probably apples he grew. Yeah, it seems pretty common out here in Utah. Mm-hmm. So some more families started to arrive in the area, building houses and dugouts to live in. Mm-hmm. In 1865, the Navajo Indians attacked the settlers. The first knowledge of the attack was when Henry Clark came running into town on his black horse, which had an arrow in its butt. Ouch. <laughs> the horse had it. <laughs> <laughs> not uh, not Mr. Henry. Uh, he was out rounding up some cattle when he was fired at. So for protection, the folks in town moved to Glendale with other Mormon settlers and built a stockade. They stayed there from 1865 to 66. Things escalated when on April 2nd, 1866, Joseph Berry, Robert Berry, and his wife Isabella were massacred on their way back to town from Spanish Fork. The following month, militiamen were sent to help protect the settlers. Things continued to get worse between the Mormons and the Navajos, and they had no choice but to leave. Augustus P. Hardy spoke fluent Navajo and was able to convince the chief to allow them safe passage out of the area in exchange for their stray cattle. Some of the refugees went south to settle Muddy River. From 1865 to 1867, the Muddy River was part of Utah, and the settlers were paying taxes to Utah. Even though the land was transferred to Nevada and settlers continued paying taxes to Utah. In 1870, a survey was completed and confirmed the land belonged to Nevada and the settlers were forced to pay back taxes on the land to Nevada. Which I thought that was weird. So they didn't have enough funds to pay the back taxes and they had no choice but to leave. And I thought if they paid the taxes to Utah and the money wasn't owed to Utah, shouldn't that money just go from Utah to Nevada and say, here, this is this isn't our money. It's theirs. Yeah, one would think. But instead, Utah kept the money mm-hmm. and then the Mormons just left. So that was kind of weird. I couldn't understand that. Yeah. During the time they were in the Muddy River, peace had actually been restored between the Navajo Indians and the Mormons. So Brigham Young, the leader of the Mormon Church, sent the saints from the Muddy to resettle the area. Well, 300 saints were guided by John R. Young back to Mount Carmel and the Glendale area, arriving on March 1, 1871. In April of 1874, Orson Pratt announced at the Mormon Conference the new plan the church was putting in place to help with the agricultural depression of 1873. The plan was that every Mormon member was to deed their property to the order, and all members of the order were to share the cooperative's net income. It was often divided into shares based on the amount of property originally contributed. Brigham Young ordered over 200 Mormon settlements to take part in the order, and while most of the settlements were against this, the Mount Carmel settlement quickly adapted to the order. On March 20, 1874, 109 members organized a branch of the order in Mount Carmel. The treasurer of the organization was Henry B.M. Jolly. He, as well as all his family members, became a little dissatisfied with how the funds were being handled. The agreement they came up with was Jolly and his family was to move up the valley two and a half miles and establish a new town where all the residents could be of one mind. These were the first settlers in the town of Orderville, and that is how they got the name for the town. Mm -hmm. A town created just to follow the order to the fullest. 
So when he left, I always kind of wondered, like, I wonder how many people were in his family because he was a polygamist mm-hmm. and they're known for having a lot of children. So it's like he could they could have lost like a fourth of their population when he <laughs> left. Like, oh, shit, that was a bad move. Like, yeah. now what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Orderville was ideal for them. The land was fertile for cattle, sheep, and horses to graze upon and get fat for the winter. There was plenty of lumber for houses and fuel. The Virgin River ran through the area, providing them water for irrigation and power. The first town surveyed was about four acres. In the center of town was a dining room, 25 feet by 40 feet made of lumber. Adjoining it to the north was the kitchen. Behind the kitchen was a large brick oven called the bakery. And all that's gone. I think I read it got washed away in a flood. Mm-hmm. So east, north, and west of these buildings, they built shanty dwellings in rows. The south side was enclosed with a fence. The front of the dwellings were broad plank sidewalks. They planted maple trees and box elder trees as well as flowers, trying to make it look like a cute little town. Mm-hmm. But the town had like a military establishment feel to it and was often called the fort. Right. <laughs> The bugle was blown every day at 5 a.m. to wake up the town. Food calls were every day at 7, 12, and 6, and curfew was at 9. Very strict rules. Mm -hmm. (laughs) East above the town square was 20 acres of land set aside for the vegetable garden and an orchard. As the order grew, more houses were built. Then a large two-story building known as the Big House was erected near the southeast corner of the town where President Thomas Chamberlain and his Five wives. <laughs> mm-hmm. And who knows how many children lived. All of them. Yeah. The town also had a blacksmith, carpenter, and cabinet shop. To obtain membership in the order, you would have to submit an application and answer over 20 questions. Some of these questions were basic, like take, for instance, question 18. Are you willing to conform to the general rule of eating your food in company with the rest of your brothers and sisters? No. Oh. (laughs) Or question nine. Are you in the habit of stealing or taking that which does not belong to you personally? Yeah, I mean, you don't want thieves living in a town like this, right? Yeah, and I'm sure they're going to answer honestly anyway. Of course, right? (laughs) (laughs) Other questions were a little more involved, like question two. Have you a family? If so, what is the number? Are they one with you, without exception, in the course you wish to take? What is your present situation in regard to food and clothing? Do you train your family to fear the Lord? Do they seem to practice your teaching and walk according to your example? And then they had more difficult ones to answer, like question five. Are you willing for yourself and all you possess to be governed and controlled by the board of management or any person or persons authorized for them to act? Yeah, I don't I what what I how I live today, I'm not sure how I would answer these questions. <laughs> yeah. And I think was it question 21 that is are you willing to drink the Kool-Aid? Yeah, they didn't put that on the <laughs> website that I got these questions from. Oh, okay. But I found another source that said there was a left-out question. About the Kool-Aid? Yeah. I don't think they called it Kool-Aid in the 1800s, but they probably had something similar. No, it was um, (laughs) (laughs) Kool-Aid. I'm so funny. 
Okay, the town elected nine board of directors who were entrusted to supervise the labors and affairs of the order. They had a president, two vice presidents, a secretary, and a treasurer. Why do you need two vice presidents, do you think? Yeah, I don't understand that. Huh. I mean, maybe they didn't always have two, and as the, the town grew, they were like, oh, we need some more help. Or maybe they thought the president and vice president would get assassinated at the same time, so they still had a backup. That's a good plan. Yeah? Yeah. Mm. Well, the board had the authority to appoint and to find the duties of minor officers. Every transaction of importance was brought before a meeting of the order for approval or disapproval, and it was established that... All things shall be done by common consent. All members were required to deed their property, both real and personal, to the order. Thus, all wealth became common. There were no rich and no poor, for all were equal. From that start onward, no man could say, This is mine. Three men were assigned to appraise the property, turn it into the order. Then shares of stock were issued to the members for the value of said properties. All workers were assigned to jobs that they were qualified and trained to do properly. All men were credited the same wage of $1.50 a day for skilled or common labor, and age was not taken into account for this. So once a man turned 18 until he passed away, he made a buck fifty a day. Yeah, and that's only about $37 a day in today's money. Not a lot of money. It's not going to cut it. Uh, the boys from age 11 to 17 were credited at 75 cents a day. Women also were credited 75 cents a day. That's it. So when that's half of the men. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at, what, like 18 bucks, 16 bucks? Yeah. yeah. Uh, girls from 10 to 13 were credited two bits. That's 25 cents. Uh-huh. And this part actually blew my mind. Yeah, a quarter. Well, anyone under the age of 10 years down to two years old got two cents a day. A two-year-old working, that seems a little young for me, but I guess in this town, if you wanted to eat, once you could walk, you worked. Yeah. That's <laughs> wild. The I don't wom- know if I want the bread made from a two-year-old. It's like all of a sudden, your whole <laughs> meal is made out of Play-Doh. <laughs> I'm sure they probably had them, like, collecting eggs or something. I don't know. Or picking weeds. I don't even think you could teach them to pick weeds. I know. I'm like, what would a two-year-old be able to do back then? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Stoke the fire? No. Can't do that. Two cents a day to not cry? Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They probably just paid him two cents to go out in the field and play. Just like, leave us alone. Just stay out there. Yeah. We'll blow the bugle when it's time for you to come in. <laughs> I don't know. The women would take weekly turns working in the kitchen and waiting on tables. There were six waiters and five cooks. There was always a man in the kitchen to help with the heavy work. I'm sure the cooking for a big group of people, you had big pots and Mm -hmm. a lot of food to move around. So that probably was handy to have a man in there. Two elderly men were assigned to make the daily bread. And they also preserved and bottled the fruit, trying to keep stuff fresh for the winter, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. The mills were plain but wholesome. Lunch mill was a little hardier since the community had been working most of the day. And dinner mill was usually kind of basic, you know, cornmeal mush, milk, Johnny cake, and butter. I don't know what a Johnny cake is, but I feel like it's Pancakes, probably... I think. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Breakfast for supper. Yeah. Hey, at least it's food, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, housing cost them 50 bucks a year. The charge for a man's clothing was 17.50 a year and 16.50 for a woman. 
children were charged about half this rate. Half the wool, I guess, they would need, huh? Yeah. Uh, in order to use a head of horses, you were charged 75 cents a day, and a yoke of oxen was 60 cents a day. Lumber cost them a buck fifty per hundred feet. Milk was fifteen cents a gallon, and cheese is about ten cents a pound. Uh, all this was taken out of the wages they earned, and records were diligently kept with the order. So, at the beginning of the year, a member who had accumulated anything extra would have to sign a waiver stating, "I accept the above account as correct, up to date." And for the sum of $1 lawful money of the United States, to me in hand paid by Orderville, United Order, the receipt of what is hereby acknowledged, do this day bargain, sell, and transfer to said Orderville, United Order, the sum of $100, the amount standing to my credit in the above account. This I do of my own free will and accord, in witness whereof I set my hand and seal." So any person or persons that had a debt to the order at the end of the year, they would just have it washed away. Yeah. So I, we kind of talked about this when we were reading this as, well, what's the point of working your butt off <laughs> yeah. to only have it taken away? And if you do the minimum, your debt just gets washed away. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, how could you survive as a community? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, you've just you've <laughs> harvested all these extra apples and you give it away. And now the guy next to you that didn't do anything just yeah. is also debt-free. Yeah, interesting. So Yeah, yeah quite the uh, interesting concept for sure. <laughs> well, the first recorded meal in the community dining room was on July 24th, 1875. It's funny they had a recorded meal. Yeah, I'm sure like they, they were had proud of cakes, it. <laughs> butter, cornmeal, mash. Well, you know. the one thing that I know that Mormons do well, and that is journaling, record keeping. Right. You know, so you get a lot more details of things because that was kind of ingrained in them of writing your journal. Yeah, and, well, documenting. Now we know about all this stuff, yeah. but it's just funny. Yeah, I'm sure they were just excited. Yeah. They finally have their new kitchen. And I, I mean, if you built a new house, you'd be like, this is our first dinner here, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We ride on a champagne cork. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, there were 15 families present and less than 100 folks. In 1877, the town had grown to 370 people. So more two than years. tripled in two years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, by 1882, so we've got five more years, the population had increased to 602, so not quite doubled. Mm-hmm. But of those, 259 were children under the age of eight years old. All eating dinner in one room uh-huh. at the same time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Think about that, people. Uh-huh. Almost half of the population... <laughs> were under eight years old. <laughs> wow. Well, as the town population grew, so did the surplus of wool, livestock, and other manufactured goods to sell and exchange. I'm guessing because more people are coming and bringing stuff and giving it, right? Yeah. It's kind of my thought yeah, on that. They're so. expanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bringing their livestock and giving it to, deeding it over to the order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, by 1877, Orderville was the most self-contained town in Utah. The sawmill was the first purchase the town made. The next purchase was the flour mill that came from Glendale, where they paid three thousand bucks for it, which is just over eighty thousand dollars today. Uh, the tannery in town supplied them with boots, shoes, tack, and saddles. Uh, they had a bucket shop that manufactured tubs, buckets, and barrels. 
there was a cabinet shop which created furniture and spinning wheels. They had a ranch 11 miles north of town that manufactured cheese and butter. And they also made large quantities of molasses in uh, Moccasin Springs down in Arizona, which isn't too far. Yeah. Which, so speaking of molasses, we saw the other weekend our friend put molasses on her grapefruit. Yeah. That was kind of new. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. I only knew of molasses ever going on a cookie. So, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe one day I'll get daring and try it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, their early crops of fruits and veggies were grown on a farm in Leeds, just southwest of town, which we've been been down there. They've got a small family cemetery that's kind of cool there, right off the side of the road. Yeah, that's the one with the cool, skinny, tall, evergreen trees, huh? Mm -hmm. Yep. I think there was a geocache there in the tree that we found, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So the town did have somewhat of a school, and we say somewhat of a school because education was not important to them. They wanted people to work and make money, not get educated. It was almost like they thought it was a waste of time for them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For about three months in the year, the younger children, about five years of age, were in school. The older children worked year-round and got some education in church organizations. The work required of the children did not put them in physical harm, but they did not always receive a fair deal. It slowly came to the surface that they were exploiting the children to build up material resources. Mm -hmm. One story I found of a disruption in Orderville was when a young man got his hands on a pair of, you'll never guess it, store-bought pants. Whoa. How lewd. Nefarious. <laughs> uh, he wanted a new pair of pants because the ones he was wearing were getting too small for him. Justifiable. Mm-hmm. They don't fit. I can't button them up anymore, right? Yeah, he's a growing kid. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, his petition for a new pair of pants was denied because the pair he had was still in good shape, but they don't fit. I know you have floods, <laughs> but you the can't knees are not worn out, yeah. so you must continue to wear them. So we have to keep in mind that all the clothing in town was manufactured in town and made of wool because that's what they had with sheep. Mm -hmm. All the clothing looked the same. So everybody. Everybody looked the same. Yeah. One day he got an idea while he was out docking the lamb's tails. He took all the tails and removed the wool. He was then assigned to take a load of wool to Nephi and with him he took his little secret stash of wool. He exchanged this for a pair of store pants, and on his return home, he wore his new pants. He's excited. Oh, yeah. So once he got back in town, he went to the dance that was happening, and his entrance caused a bit of a scene because he looked different than the other 808-year-old. <laughs> One gal rushed up to him, gave him a hug, and kissed him. Yeah, these must have been some pants to cause this girl to do this to him. They were probably jabos. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. All those pockets. Do you know what jabos are? Yeah, they're Is that like the way past your time. Or big, no? like elephant-like pants, aren't they? No, they were just a high-end brand thing. Oh, okay. Back in the day, they were like eighty bucks for a pair when Levi's were twenty bucks. Oh, now Levi's are probably more expensive than Jabos. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Jabos are around at all anymore. <laughs> Marathé and Francois Jabot was the brand. Oh. Big, big deal. Thank I you. just totally dated myself. So. Thank you for your fashion knowledge. <laughs> yeah, that's where it ended too. <laughs> the Jabot was a fashion uh, faux pas. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, the president of the order was not impressed by this and called the young man in to explain where the pants came from. Because, again, they're not allowed their own money. Mm -hmm. It's a community that shares everything, right? Yep. So once they heard the story, they determined that the pants belonged to the order. Give me those pants. They are not yours, Sonny. Here's your short pants that you can't wear anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So he had no turn. Here's your capris. Yeah. (laughs) So I had to turn the pants over to him where they were unstitched and used as a pattern to make future pants. But he would get the very first pair of these. Yeah. How special. Yeah. So the elders did not like this idea of these uh, pants changing Mm -hmm. and were kind of protesting in a sense. So the boys, in order to entice them to continue on with the plan of making pants, they decided to start destroying their pants. Well, yeah, because that was the problem. You didn't need new pants because yours were fine, right? Yeah. And it was common that their knees would be worn out from working in the field and you're on your knees, you know, pulling weeds or whatever. And I'm sure they would just patch them at that point, too, as often as it could be. Yeah. Yep. So these boys came up with an idea to go to the blacksmith shop and they used a grinding wheel to uh, grind holes in the butts of their pants. <laughs> That's awesome. Now my pants are completely destroyed. What are you going to do? Yeah, you know, the ass is gone. <laughs> so it is no longer the nose to the grindstone. You've got your ass to the grindstone. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they ended up getting their homemade store bought pants. <laughs> <laughs> so, way to go, guys! That'll show them. Yes. <laughs> So by 1882, all of southern Utah was doing better economically. The mines and silver reef were producing silver to the value of the millions. And this gave the people in Orderville and the surrounding area a place to sell their surplus produce and livestock. When Orderville first started in the area, the town folk were the best dressed and the most fed town. But... Now the other towns had money to buy store goods and were now better dressed, obviously, Mm -hmm. as we talked about. Yeah, they're free to do so. Yep. So the parents were actually starting to get a little worried about the children trying to start a family in the town. The children did not have stock in the town like they did. So if they were to get married, the order would build and furnish them a house, but they still owned nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. Other young people were going out into the world and establishing themselves on their own farms and ranches and making their own money. So they were really kind of like, hey, what are we going to do about these kids that are getting of age? Right. Valid concerns. Mm -hmm. Well, the president of the order spoke to the church leaders about the problem and asked them for their guidance. They encouraged them to keep the town running the way that it was, but to change one thing. Any skilled worker was paid more than the laborer and the able-bodied were paid more than the weak. Two years went by before they met with the church leaders again in May of 1884 in Tokerville, Utah, to see if they should continue with the order or just dissolve it. They received a letter in June from the First Presidency stating, When you change your system from that of equal labor credits and disbursements to that of giving men credit according to their skill, etc., just as is done in society elsewhere, You open the door for selfishness and other feelings to enter which society has to contend with. By this change, you dropped back to the old level. With such a change, it cannot be reasonably expected that your organization can hold together for any length of time. Therefore, we said to you in our conversation at Tokerville that it is our counsel to return to your old system of giving the people equal credit for labor. We feel that this is the better course for you to pursue. 
even though we just told you earlier <laughs> to try this part of the experiment. Yeah. But now let's change it back and make it feel like you did something wrong. Right. <laughs> they continued the letter suggesting that maybe they set aside a small amount of funds to give each individual and family for them to spend as they please. I thought this was kind of funny. The younger generation were not just wanting the ability to you know, buy the latest fashion and clothing. Mm. They wanted the chance to have a life of their own, which I don't know, seems pretty fair to me. Yeah. They wanted to own something that they could work and maintain. Yeah, give me my own ranch. Yeah, mm. I mean, their parents had it, deeded it to them. It wasn't their choice. They were just raised like this. Mm -hmm. So let them go out and figure things out on their own, I guess. Yeah. The concern the town had for the young folk was a valid one. But nothing they did in town would have prepared them for when the Edmonds Act of 1882 was passed. So this act was a United States federal statute. Then it went into effect on March 23, 1882. It declared polygamy a felony in federal territories, which was Utah. By 1886, most of the Orderville's prominent men and women were in hiding to avoid arrest. <laughs> President Chamberlain had been arrested, convicted, and sentenced to the penitentiary in Salt Lake City. Because of this, Apostle Francis M. Lyman told the members to disband the order, and they followed his advice. Yeah, they disbanded the order. They didn't stop the polygamy. They yeah. just broke up the order. Which, do you remember when we went to the Yuma Territorial Prison? Mm-hmm. There was a section there that was dedicated to the Mormon prisoners. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that they were some of the best prisoners that they ever had. They were obedient. They were quiet. Um, they actually helped a lot of the people in the prison learn how to read and write. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of interesting. You know, yeah, it affected Utah, but it also affected other states. It's just Utah was more prominent Mormon Mm -hmm. So I'm sure they yeah. had a lot more Mormons in jail in Utah than other places. So yeah, well, yeah. and we hear of them up to the Boise Penitentiary. We'd seen mm -hmm. polygamists that were in the Wyoming Territorial Prison for it, as yep. well as, like you said, the Yuma one. So yeah, yep, yeah, crazy. Well, a committee was appointed to come up with a plan on what to do with everything the town had owned. They had a secretary go over the stock and list everything that was in inventory, then put a price on it. They then held an auction with all the community belongings. The family sat around waiting for their personal belongings to go up for sale and bid on them. Payment for the purchase was used with the credits that the members had already accumulated. The order retained ownership of the tannery, the wool factory, and the sheep. The order had lasted more than a decade and was the most successful example of communal living amongst the Mormons. Not much really remains today of the original settlement, and mm -hmm. as families moved away from Orderville, the old houses that were just kind of shanties and all that were torn down, and new modern homes were built in its place. Yeah, yep. No trip for us is complete without a stop at the local cemetery. The cemetery was founded in 1875 and just so happened to be a stone's throw away from where we were, our little tiny house was for the night. Mm -hmm. We probably could have walked there, to be honest. Yeah, we could, but we had to check out, so. <laughs> yep. There are a lot of markers with a small placard indicating they were Utah pioneers. They don't all look the same, though. I don't know if you noticed that. Some of them were really tiny. Some of them were kind of newer placards. I've mm -hmm. got pictures of some of them, so mm -hmm. we'll have to put them up. 
There is one in the cemetery dating back to 1938 placed in the memory of the Utah pioneers buried in the cemetery at Orderville. This was placed by the Daughters of Utah Pioneers. This is an open cemetery with nothing around to block the wind, and it was pretty chilly that morning walking around. Absolutely. (laughs) Driving through the other small towns was offered a good number of stops at small cemeteries as well. Yeah, lots of little towns, lots of little cemeteries. Pretty cool. And that's a sort of thing that I think we'll be incorporating more into video stuff in the near future. So we've talked about a couple times doing the YouTube stuff and all that. I think this would be a good chance to, as we go through the cemetery and find the founders, like when we were in Hatch, one mm-hmm. of those small towns, we found the founders of Hatch and, you know, kind of read it. I think that'd be fun. So yeah, let us know what you guys think, if that's something you want to see. But Yeah. We um, did find a, a George Washington in Orderville. Yeah. You think it was him? <laughs> the real one? Uh, no, not the real one. I think it no. was like his cousin or something. Yeah. A distant, <laughs> hundred years kidding. later, cousin. <laughs> Actually, a lot of people would name their children after presidents. Oh, would they? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was kind of an honor to them. Like, this is the best president. I'm naming my child George Washington. Huh. Okay. Yeah, kind of fun. Do you remember also seeing, as we were leaving there uh, from our tiny home to go around the block to the cemetery, they, remember they painted up on the wall or uh-huh. the mountainside behind it all the graduating years? Yeah. Which we'd also seen was that, where was it? Arco. That? that was in Arco. Yeah, Arco in Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was, it said like 89, 90, 70, you know, all mm-hmm. over on the side of the mountain. Yeah. So each of the graduating mm-hmm. classes would paint it up. And you could see that from the schoolyard. We parked behind the school mm-hmm. to try to scope that out. I think we got pictures of that too. Yeah. Yeah, I did get a picture of it. I'll have to put them up there. Yeah, test another new cameras. Mm-hmm. Well, exploring town on our way out didn't leave much opportunity as it was a Sunday. Yeah. And the small towns in Utah are often shut down on church days for sure. And this happens to us a lot. We <laughs> never get to go into Poorly a plan a lot of our trips, really. <laughs> yeah, we don't plan a lot of our trips. We just go. So. Let's go to Leadville in the middle of winter and mm. try to go up to a mine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, we did come across a replica building of the original schoolhouse, which is now a small museum there. I think the daughters of the Utah Pioneers run it. Mm-hmm. And out front of the museum, there's an original church bell that was rung each Sunday to call folks to church and also warn the community of fires, that sort yeah. of a thing. So there are a few other things to go and check out that if you go during business hours, you can check out the rock <laughs> shops and uh, museum. Yeah, yep. Well, Ordervale is a quiet little town, and when we say little, I don't even think there's a stop sign or a stoplight in the town. Yeah. (laughs) The view is amazing no matter what part of town you're in. The drive down Highway 89 is quiet and peaceful. There is no nightlife, but that's okay because there's so much to do during the day in the outdoors that by the time night comes around, all you want to do is relax by the fire with a cold beverage in your hand. Hmm. We enjoyed our time there, though it was short-lived and are looking forward to going back. I don't know. We're thinking next time we go back, we might stay in one of the other little towns near Orderville. As travel and outdoor activities are becoming more and more popular due to COVID, we're seeing more areas to camp and explore around there and actually look forward to seeing what else they have to offer. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. That was our quick little visit to the historic town of Orderville, Utah. Yes. Yep. Pretty fun. It was a great little getaway. Mm -hmm. So uh, I reckon you've got a dad joke for us, huh? I do. It's it's a good one. Uh, (laughs) That I have no doubt. They always are, right? (laughs) 
So we go to a lot of cemeteries when we're driving Mm -hmm. to the point where like sometimes we'll just be driving down the road and see a cemetery off to the side and just zip off and go check it out. And most of the cemeteries have fences around them. So do you know why they put a fence around the cemeteries? I'm sure you're going to tell us. Because everybody's dying to get in. <laughs> wow. I did a good job setting that one up this time. Huh? Oh, you, you nailed it. <laughs> Nailing the shit out of these dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. Well, I'd like to thank you all again for joining us. Uh, if you want to stay up to date with what's happening, uh, we're most active on the Instagram. At Rebel at Large. Uh, we put up photos of our adventures on our website. RebelAtLarge.com, where you'll find links to our other social deals, as well as our email. Send gypsy dad jokes. All right. Thanks again, folks. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to y'all here in a couple weeks. Safe travels. We'll see y'all down the road. This mouse is just driving me nuts. You okay? Table and a little barbecue that everyone can you you know you have your own barbecue so you can use it if you want. And then that sounded so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. This was a newly built wa- water. <laughs> That's what I just said. Cut that part out. And then there is one in the cemetery dating back to 1898. That is not even close to that. There is one in the cemetery dating. And the drive down Highway 81 is quiet. Down Highway 89. Yep.